0: What do you get when Alex isn't on the podcast? Well, a shorter episode for one.
1: Hey, everyone. Welcome to Retire With Style. I'm Wade, and Alex is out sick this week. So joining me is a very (laughs) special guest host, someone who's a a good friend of the show that everyone who listens regularly will know, Bob French, a retirement researcher in McLean Asset Management. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you,
0: Wade. Thanks, Wade. Uh, no love boat intro. I'm, I'm kind of hurt today. So. No, no,
1: we don't have Alex to do that. And I know there's going to be some listeners who will be happy to <laughs> have a little reprieve of the, the side comedy, but uh, we're going <laughs> to proceed with the mission of making sure we do have Retire With Style uh, on a weekly basis for everyone. Absolutely. And, and thank you for joining in. And, and so in looking for a, a topic... I did publish an article with Steve Parrish in January in the Journal of Financial Planning. I haven't been doing as much in the way of new research articles in recent uh, months, just because focused more on writing books and building out the RISA. But this was an article I'd been looking to write for some time. and, And with Steve Parrish, what we looked at was just this idea. You'll see, and Bob, you may have seen this claim quite a bit of When we talk about Social Security, the idea that I generally support is to think about it as insurance, that if you live a long time, delaying your Social Security benefit, at least for the high earner in a couple, is going to lay the foundation for more lifetime income coming out of Social Security and for a better overall retirement planning outcome, more legacy potentially as well. But occasionally there'll be a financial advisor or someone else who will say, No, claim Social Security at 62, then it's usually expressed as you can invest that your Social Security benefits in the stock market. But but really, the reality would be more by having that Social Security at 62, you don't have to take as much out of your other investments. So you'll keep more invested in the market. And then assuming a, and I've seen even articles sent to journals, I would say, assuming you'll get a 10.5% return on that and you'll have a better financial planning outcome.
0: I, I would agree with them if we could guarantee a 10.5% return on that. So.
1: <laughs> right, right. If you are definitely going to get 10.5%, you probably should claim Social Security at 62. But that's kind of the big question is, well, are, what, what's a realistic kind of return for <laughs> individuals in their <laughs> 60s to be assuming on their investment assets, such that if they claim at 62 versus waiting till, six, till 70 with that eight-year window, what we wanted to do in this article was just test this in the historical data, uh, assuming different mm-hmm. asset allocations and investing in the meantime. What would support the greater long term legacy claiming at 62 or, or claiming uh, delaying till age 70? And, and that was really okay, the, right. the question we're looking at in the article.
0: Now, now in that yeah. regard. <laughs>
1: So there's, I mean, there's a number of reasons people might think to claim early, and maybe we do want to mention a few of those beyond this particular issue about investments, because not everyone should necessarily think about waiting Mm -hmm. until 70.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a, a big point here that, you know, there's, there are some definite situations where, you know, it does make sense to claim at 62, or some intermediate point. Um, So could you you talk a little bit about, you know, what those might be, what those might look like, um, just so we can kind of lay out the the full spectrum here?
1: Mm -hmm. Sure. And so the first one is just simply a part of delaying Social Security is the idea is it's okay to spend down other assets while you're waiting for Social Security to start. But for some Americans, they simply don't have any other alternatives. They they're not able to work at this point. They don't have other assets to be spending in the meantime. They simply do need to claim early to have the ability to support themselves in retirement. So that's one reason, and that's a valid reason. It's it, Technically, if they could delay, they would have the opportunity for that higher. And, and to be clear, if from age 62 to 70, delaying will support a 77% higher real benefit from age seventy, in inflation-adjusted terms, for the rest of one's lifetime, and so simply people may not and have actually the, wait. I think this
0: before we jump into these other ones, it might be worth kind of laying out, um, you know, how these numbers kind of get arrived at. Um, you know, you've mentioned that you get a lower benefit when <laughs> you claim at sixty-two, and a a higher benefit when you claim at seventy. Um, how how does that happen what What's kind of going on there?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, bob we didn't and we we're kind of assuming people have all this basic knowledge in place already, <laughs> but that's not necessarily the case so social security has a full retirement age, and this year it's somewhere in one sixty six in several number of months. but for anyone who's already at least about or well under sixty two sixty two or younger I think now in twenty twenty three is even 63 or younger, 67 will be their full retirement age for anyone born in 1960 and later will experience 67 as the full retirement age. And that just means if they claim their benefits at full retirement age, they'll get 100% of the primary insurance amount, which is calculated based on the top 35 years of earnings, uh, Social Security covered earnings over their careers. Now, in 1983, the uh, Social Security Administration, well, part of the reform process at that time, created delay credits if you wait past your full retirement age and also the ability to claim before your full retirement age, but with a reduction uh, built into that. So if you wait, if your full retirement age is 67 and you wait until 70, you'll get a 24% higher benefit. If you claim at 62 your benefit would be reduced by 30% or you would get 70% of your primary insurance amount. At, at age 70, you get 124% of your primary insurance amount. And so the difference between those, the 124 divided by 70, that's where you get that 77% higher benefit number right. that I referenced. And earlier. the
0: idea there is at least as of 1983, they were trying to make it kind of indifferent Where you would claim in there so that you would get roughly the same amount, um, you know, wherever you claimed within that that window. I mean, is Mm -hmm. that is that basically what was going on?
1: Yeah, that's the idea. And that was done for single individuals, not necessarily for couples. But the idea was, if you live precisely to your life expectancy you, it wouldn't matter what age you claim. It, it was meant to be actuarially fair in that <laughs> you get the same amount of lifetime benefits when you live precisely to your life expectancies.
0: Okay. Um, so let's jump back to some of the places where you know, it, it, it does make sense to claim early. You've already called out those situations where you're, you just unfortunately need that money. Um, You know, to meet your spending requirements, you know, what are some other reasons that you might want to look at claiming early? Mm
1: -hmm. So another one is if you do have a legitimate medical reason why you may not make it to your life expectancy and you're not necessarily the high earner in a couple. So that or you I mean, you do have to consider if your benefit will live on beyond you (laughs) as a survivor benefit to others. Uh, then that could be a reason to claim earlier. The break-even age is generally in one's lower 80s. And so it's not, a lot of people think, oh, I'm never going to make it to 70 even. Uh, But really, if you have a legitimate medical reason why it's reasonable not to expect to live beyond about age 80, that could be a, a justifiable reason to claim earlier as well. Now, there are people who are worried about government cuts coming at some point in the future, that the benefits will be cut sometime as part of Social Security reform. That, we simply don't know what's going to happen. Currently, the trust fund is projected to be able to support currently legislated benefits until about 2035. And then at that point, if there is no reform... Congress may need to take action and if at that point they probably wouldn't simply cut benefits. They'd probably have some sort of balance of tax increases and/or benefit cuts. But if nothing's happened uh, happening by that time, they may need to cut benefits by 20 to 25 percent to keep the system in balance with the new payroll taxes coming in. So that people sometimes take that too far and think Social Security is about to end, and therefore they want to get the money out while they can and that's not necessarily as legitimate a reason to claim early because if you claim early even if there's a benefit cut you're now the lower benefit you have from claiming early will also be cut just like uh, if you delay it, your your benefit would be cut but still it's really hard to overcome the math of the lifetime benefits you get by delaying social security that even if you incorporate say a 20% benefit cut in 2035 it's still usually uh, better off for someone to delay social security if if they're the higher earner in a couple. And when I say higher earner in a couple, that's just simply that person's benefit will last for the joint lifetime of the two individuals, because it's either if that person lives longer, they keep their own benefit. Uh, if that person passes away first, it becomes a survivor benefit for the the other spouse who had a lower lifetime social security covered earnings or lower primary insurance amount from social security.
0: OK, um, so kind of with that out of the way, kind of the, those disclosures or those provisos out of the way, um, let's jump into the the meat of your argument here, Wade. Um, so can you kind of walk us through a little bit of kind of what the paper is really looking at, uh, kind of what what you did there?
1: Mm-hmm. And for that, I, you may have some comments on this, but one of the data sets that's freely available uh, is Robert Schiller's data set on stock and bond returns going back to 1871. <laughs> now, yeah. whether that late 19th century data is all that helpful uh, is a, is another question. And, and if you have any thoughts on that, but but we just use that data to say, well, what if you had retired, in this case, as a 62-year-old planning through age 95, and receive the historical stock and bond returns over the different rolling periods, starting in 1871, simply testing based on today's rules about delay credits and so forth, would you have supported a higher net legacy for your beneficiaries or heirs by uh, claiming at 62 versus claiming at 70 and looking at the percent of the time historically where different strategies would have come out ahead with different asset allocations?
0: If you're looking for more personal advice, please note that our show is sponsored by McLean Asset Management. Learn more at McLeanAM.com. That's M-C-L-E-A-N-A-M.com. McLean Asset Management is a wealth management firm where we help you design and implement the right retirement plan for you. Okay. Um, So... I, I think we can probably avoid that Chris versus Schiller data discussion for today. <laughs> we, we can come back to that one when we want to get real nerdy here. Um, but I, I did want to dive into one thing you just said there. Um, you, know, you mentioned that we were looking at the, the historical returns using the rules associated with today or the social security rules from today and, um, You know, do you is that really a good good assumption is that do you do we think that or I should say, do you think that, you know, how people react to the rules of Social Security might have had an impact on, you know, those stock returns in the past? And and what's the point of using historical returns rather than, say, you know, Monte Carlo or even a bootstrap type of approach there?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's opening up a whole can of worms because with the
0: historical data, yeah, I, I data... <laughs> we should try and avoid nerdy stuff. But I, I guess we can't. this is what happens, people, when Alex isn't here. It is just Wade and I. So,
1: <laughs> but I mean, yes, there's plenty of potential concerns with historical data, just simply because people, the the average American household, wasn't even really investing in the financial markets necessarily in the 1910s or the 1940s. So. All kinds of caveats need to go on that. But the reason why I think it's helpful to at least use historical data to provide some perspective is simply, it is this idea that if someone claims you should take your Social Security early because if you invest it in the market, you'll get a 10.5% return because the historical compounded return on the S&P 500 was about, not inflation adjusted, but just nominal return was about (laughs) 10.5%. Yes. Well, that, that's using the same historical data. And I, I just think it's helpful. Well, let's see how that does with a variety of historical experiences. It's the same way that the 4% rule for retirement income came about. It's looking at rolling historical periods. What was a reasonable spending strategy based on different stock and bond return environments? Now, whether those return environments from the historical data are relevant to today is a whole nother matter. But at least they do provide us a set of historical circumstances that we can look at to evaluate how different strategies perform. It is something that happened. Yeah. (laughs) It is, yes, something that's with Monte Carlo (laughs) simulations, you get into the issue of, hey, these are just made up numbers and they're based on some parameters, but at least with the historical data, I think sometimes people are more comfortable. But yeah, these are actual real numbers and, and we can see how the strategies performed with those real data from the past
0: Okay, um, so how did they perform? Kind of, can we go into you know you presented two kind of case studies in the paper here. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what those case studies were, and then kind of what happened when you actually ran the numbers?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the two case studies we had a, a single individual with a million dollars of investment assets, and then a couple with three million dollars of investment assets. And I built the and and this analysis does include all taxes as well. We're using the current tax rules as well applied to the historical data in the same manner as the current social security rules. But we developed case studies that have a high probability of working, just because I did want to focus more on what's the uh, overall legacy going to be after having a relatively conservative spending strategy. But it's not constant inflation adjusted spending throughout retirement. They do have some extra expenditures for the go-go years. They do have long-term care reserves built into the plan for long-term care spending later in retirement. They do have kind of healthcare reserves built into the plan. They have the core spending. And what they're trying to do is fund their spending in retirement as well as any taxes that they need to pay. They're in a no state income tax state. So it's just federal income taxes, But considering taxes on Social Security benefits, if there's any of the Medicare surcharges, if there's long-term capital gains that are um, stacked on top of ordinary income and so forth. And then what asset allocation do they use? We don't even bother with the 100% stock allocation simply because I don't think that's all, the, all that particularly realistic for most retirees. <laughs> but, but we do consider 25% stocks, 50% stocks, and 75% stocks. And again, the idea is to really simply look at if I claim at 62, I don't have to take as much out of my portfolio right away. And that's the, the idea of why well, I'm getting to invest my quote-unquote, I'm investing my Social Security benefits versus if I claim at 70, I am spending down the investment assets faster for eight years, but then I get to slow down those distributions after age 70 quite dramatically due to the the delay credits built into Social Security. And then it's really simply a test of, well, which of those comes out ahead over the long term? What could potentially support the largest legacy over the long term? And the answer is Sometimes claiming at sixty two comes out ahead, but I don't think it's as frequent as people might imagine when they just start thinking about this idea of the the ten and a half percent type stock market return that if we look at so for that and then we can even just talk about the single individual case because the numbers yeah. are pretty similar between the two uh when we talk about claiming at seventy versus claiming at sixty two If that single individual uses a 25% stock allocation, uh, the claiming at 70 would come out ahead 89% of the time in the historical data. If that individual used a 50% stock allocation, and and the idea is the more aggressively they invest, invest, the better the potential to come out ahead. Uh, So claiming at 70 would come out ahead still 76.3% of the time. And then if they went all the way up to 75% stocks, uh, claiming at seventy comes out ahead sixty three point six percent of the time, so still more than half the time. And, and so that's it still <laughs> f- leans in the direction of if you want to support a larger legacy, sixty almost sixty four percent of the time you come out ahead by delaying Social Security to age seventy. And that that's really the, the punchline of the article. It's not to say that you never uh, come out ahead by claiming at sixty two but more often than not you come out ahead by claiming at 70. And there's also a risk management aspect to that as mm-hmm. well that cuz it's really the case. Mark, if markets do extremely well, you probably will be better off claiming at 62. But you're not going to run out of money either way in those scenarios. It's when markets aren't doing as great that you have to be more worried about not spending down all your assets. And that's where consistently and and we show the charts and the tables so that you can see all the points consistently claiming at 70 supports a larger net legacy in all the scenarios where net legacies are not going to be all that high anyway, because you got hit by a bad sequence of market returns or you didn't have the, right. the best investing environment. And,
0: and that point I think is is really important because you're basically setting yourself up. It, it's sort of like investing in company stock to a certain extent that you know, you're setting yourself up basically for that double whammy um, in that you're not, you're taking away something that will that is uncorrelated, I guess, since it's insurance. You're getting the same amount every time. Um, and you're loading it on into the same kind of risk bucket um, as a big chunk of your assets for most people that, you know, when stuff goes down, that's when you really, really needed that Social Security payment. Um, and you're not getting it, or at least as much.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that's really the story coming out of the article. And, and so, if, well, we look at these historical numbers, and if anyone's just wondering, you know, how could this be? I thought investments would do so well. Uh, it, it's just there's a few reasons we can really list for why delaying Social Security still tends to come out ahead here. And it's, well, age 95, to be clear, is well beyond life expectancy. But when we talk about having a conservative retirement plan, You generally do plan for an age beyond life expectancy. And if you live past your life expectancy, that's where delaying Social Security really starts to pay off. Uh, And then because of the reforms in 1983, they were assuming a much higher interest rate than... Well, although that's not relevant as I say that. We're we're <laughs> history. going as much higher so, as one, say, two years ago. If you were so. to run a a Monte Carlo simulation, you probably wouldn't be assuming such a high interest rate as which those delay credits assume. And so that's at work. It's You're getting a, a nice yield off of delaying Social Security that can be difficult for market returns to overcome in, in some of those historical situations And then there's also a tax piece to this, and the analysis did incorporate taxes. It's this whole idea that if I can delay Social Security and use that window where I don't have a lot of other income, taxable income, then we are considering in this analysis doing Roth conversions in those years and potentially creating situations where I may not have to pay taxes on 85% of my Social Security benefits, which... I would otherwise surely be doing if I claim a 62. But by delaying to 70 and by by turning on a, a Roth conversion strategy in the meantime, it, in some of these historical cases, I'm not necessarily having to pay taxes on as much of my social security benefits. And that's providing another boost that can help explain these results as well.
0: Yeah, so one thing I was actually curious as I was reading through this article is, you know, we, we've mentioned that how these numbers are set was basically calculated in 1983 and hasn't been touched since so we have differences in both insurance or interest rate excuse me and longevity assumptions as well if we were to kind of renormalize the numbers if we were to make this actuarially fair as of today you know how do you think that would fall out um you know would there still be a benefit to delaying Social Security? Or, you know, would it really kind of come down to personal preference even more so uh, mm-hmm. at that point?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a great question. If they redid that analysis on the delay credits today, they would just simply have to reduce the delay credits, you would not be getting that mm-hmm. 8% a year for delaying Social Security. because. It's so hopefully just...
0: <laughs> they don't, first of all, but... <laughs>
1: Although frankly, I mean, by the time you and I get to social security claiming age, I would not be surprised if 70 is the full retirement age, which works as a benefit cut. It's instead of getting 124% of your benefit at 70, you might get 100% of your benefit at 70. And and that could be one part of such a reform in the future. But it's still, it's really more than the philosophy of how you want to think about claiming. And the, the two general approaches are Think of Social Security delay as insurance to get an inflation adjusted higher lifetime income from Social Security or to focus more on break-even age type analysis, which is, well, what age would I have to live past for delaying to pay off? And then when people frame it that way, they start thinking, well, I'm not going to live that long and I don't want to have the regret of not getting everything I could Mm -hmm. have out of Social Security. So maybe it makes sense to claim earlier now, even if they adjust those delay credits, if you're thinking of it from the frame of insurance, protecting in the event of a long life, um, the case for delaying would not be as strong, but it would still still be there. <laughs> it, it, you would still be worried, well, what if I do live in, in my 90s or beyond? And, and then whenever you're thinking that way, delaying Social Security would provide more lifetime income to that financial plan. Even if they do adjust those uh, delay factors to make them "quote unquote" fair from the perspective of today's individuals in their sixties.
0: Yeah, and actually, I think that brings up a, an interesting kind of question here. Um, you know, we've been talking about kind of big, just run the numbers type of approach to the analysis. You know, if we start thinking about this in terms of RISA profiles. You know, how does that kind of change this conversation? I would imagine it's, you know, the numbers are still the numbers, but how you read those numbers might be pretty heavily influenced in kind of your probability safety first type of orientation. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think it's those who are leaning more in the direction of the quote unquote claim early and invest your benefits type argument. That's much more of a probability-based argument where you are fundamentally more comfortable relying on market returns and you're wanting the optionality like (laughs) going the other direction. So delaying social security, that's more safety first. That's building in more protected lifetime income. And that's being comfortable. I will spend down my investment assets more quickly until social security starts. And it's okay to do that Because then once Social Security starts, I I don't have to spend as much from my investment assets anymore. But that's more of a commitment type orientation as well. And for people who want that maximum optionality, so getting into that total return style and probability based, I'm comfortable with the markets and I want optionality, I think the idea of claiming Social Security early can appeal more to keep the uh, optionality for the investment assets and to have more comfort with the idea that I will be able to earn a high enough rate of return that I don't necessarily need to uh, delay my social security benefits. Whereas if you're more income protection, you're more safety first, I want those protections. I'm comfortable committing to a strategy. I think that idea resonates better with the idea around uh, delaying social security and getting that higher protected inflation adjusted income that way.
0: Curious if you should be looking at a Roth conversion or what a Roth conversion even is? Head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to get McLean's free ebook. Is a Roth conversion right for you? And learn about when you might want to do a Roth conversion. And when you might not. Just head over to McLeanAM.com slash Roth to download your free ebook today. Okay. Um, and then another question that I was thinking about here as well is actually in regards to sequence of returns risk. You know, it would seem to be that by delaying your Social Security, you're kind of moving your spending out of your investment portfolio, presumably your investment portfolio up uh, closer to retirement. Would that tend to increase sequence risk? Is that something people want to be thinking about in this situation? Or is it just kind of that's a relatively small piece of the, the bigger pie? in terms of how to think through these risk questions.
1: No, this is a really important point. And it's, if I'm retired already at 62 and I'm delaying social security, I have to use a higher withdrawal rate for the first eight years. And that increases the sequence of returns risk. So you probably wouldn't want to just use the total return type investing strategy for that entire amount. Instead, you might look at building a social security delay bridge. And one way to simply do that is to build a bond ladder uh, with part of your assets. And this is not in this particular research paper, but I've walked through kind of explaining how that works and how it can actually lower the lifetime distribution rate from the total return part of the portfolio. Mm -hmm. But you carve out a bond ladder and build a bond ladder to cover those missing social security benefits. You also might look at a, a reverse mortgage as another way to potentially build that bridge of income so that you're not having to use just a higher distribution rate and creating more sequence of returns risk for yourself because you're delaying the social security benefits. So that's a very important point. Uh, You would increase your sequence of returns risk if you simply use a higher distribution rate for those first eight years before social security
0: starts. Okay. Um and then, you know, one thing I think we touched on a little bit here as well is, you know, one of the questions we, we constantly get whenever we're talking about topics, even remotely around this is kind of where are the current break even points for people? You know, if they were going to basically either, well, on, on either side, um, when you're looking at, you know, assumed longevity or, you know, where's kind of the midpoint in terms of your claiming strategies,
1: Mm-hmm. So it depends on the precise interest rate, but generally the low 80s would be the, the break even where if, if I live beyond my early 80s, I'll get a higher lifetime income from Social Security by delaying to 70. If I don't make it to my early 80s, uh, I would get more lifetime income by claiming Social Security earlier. And the reality is, though, that the low 80s is still below life expectancies for especially for the types of folks who will be listening to the podcast, <laughs> life expectancies are going to be in the high 80s. So you have a more than 50% chance of living to the types of ages you'd need to, to benefit from delaying social security. And, and that's if you're, when I was talking before about the high earner in a couple with that idea that that benefit lasts for the joint lifetime, well, then you're looking at how old would that individual be when the last person in that couple passes away? And so if there's an age difference, if the high earner is also older, uh, that could lead to the, the high earner might be 110 years old when the uh, younger spouse ultimately passed away. And so that's, that would be the kind of age you're looking at there, where if that benefit's going to last beyond when that high earner would be in their early 80s then that favors delaying social security benefits.
0: And anytime we talk about longevity or or life assumption or life expectancy, excuse me, I always like to point out that, you know, we're not only just talking about, you know, obviously medical care is a massive part of this. We're also talking about all of the medical care they figure out up until that point. Um, You know, you're not just sitting at the numbers as they sit right now. Um, So that's definitely something that is always worth calling out here that, you know, you're probably going to live longer than you expect. Um, (laughs) you know, that's always the way I think about it anyway. So, um, so with that Wade, um, you know, I think we've kind of covered uh, a lot of, of kind of the stuff in the paper, but I think kind of as a kind of summation type of question, you know, and, and this is the big hairy one in the room, How should people be thinking about making this decision for themselves? You know, how do you, you know, we've talked about all these different things. And, you know, for most people, it probably makes sense to delay. But how do you go about figuring out if you're most people or not?
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's because Social Security is so complicated. It's always worth (laughs) using software. And there's now a great online program that's free. There's also paid software, but Mike Piper created Open Social Security. It's just OpenSocialSecurity.com. It's a free online calculator that can help manage. Uh, there's special cases as well that we didn't really dig into at all. But like, yes. if you do have other dependents, uh, if you're impacted by the uh, windfall elimination provisions because you or government pension offset because you spend part of your career outside of Social Security. Uh, if there's a big age difference between spouses, if both spouses are working, then depending on the ratio of their lifetime incomes and so forth. There's so many complications that it's always best to do some analysis beyond just trying to intuit what's the appropriate claiming strategy. But I definitely suggest having a, a more detailed analysis that can account for any special cases. And just recognizing that, you know are you as with your question earlier about Risa styles, You might be more comfortable thinking about the investment based approach if you are more of that probability based uh, versus the uh, the argument I'm making about delaying Social Security would appeal more to the uh, income protection or the the safety first type uh, side of that spectrum.
0: Okay. Um, so I guess with that, Wade, um, well, one question we should have answered at the beginning here is if people are interested in reading this paper, uh, <laughs> you know, how how do they go about doing that? Great where, question. Where yeah, we'll,
1: we'll put if we'll put a link. I, I didn't check if there's if it's not behind a paywall. Sometimes now the Journal of Financial Planning, some of their articles are behind paywalls. Some are freely online. I think we can put a link and I will double check that, uh, especially now that another (laughs) month is (laughs) but the, the name of the article is which social security claiming strategy generates the highest legacy value. It's by myself and also Steve Parrish from the American College of Financial Services. And it was in the January 2023 issue of the Journal of Financial Planning. And we will include a link in the show notes. Well, we can link to it, but it Hopefully it's not behind mm-hmm. a paywall. <laughs> Hopefully you don't need to have a subscription to the journal to be able to see the article. So I did not double check that in advance of our recording.
0: <laughs> well, um, on that note, I think we we've kind of walked through the bulk of this. Um, you know, so Wade, any any parting thoughts before we we close up here?
1: Uh, just to, to thank you, Bob, for filling in for Alex today. This, <laughs> uh, I think it's the first episode Alex has missed. I know I've missed an episode before, but we're glad that we can keep this going on a weekly basis and do thank you for pulling in that last minute to, to help us out when Alex is feeling under the weather. Well,
0: well thanks for the invite, Wade. So uh, with that, thank you all, uh, and we'll, we'll be seeing you next week. Mm-hmm. Yep, thanks, everyone. Have a great week. Wade and Alex are both principals of McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.